It's Thursday, December 14, 2017. Welcome back to the Island College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and this is the second of three podcasts we're going to do this week. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that via iTunes. Rate it favorably and continue to write great comments, please. You guys have been excellent about that. We appreciate it and encourage you to continue doing it. Villanova is the number one team in the country, according to the AP poll that was updated Monday. And Jay Wright's Wildcats, they looked the part Wednesday night. They won at Temple 87 67. So now they're 11-0 with three top 55 Kimpom wins. They've beaten Gonzaga, Tennessee, and Temple. Number one at Kimpom, number one AP poll, number one coaches poll, number one CBS Sports top 25 and one Norlander. Are they also the Villanova Wildcats? Number one in your heart and mind. In my heart and mind? In your heart and mind. I thought you first said in your heart and mind, as if uh, as if we were sharing these feelings together, which I, potentially we are. You know, it's possible that was just my North Mississippi accent coming through. Yeah, yeah. Say the word afternoon for me, real quick. Afternoon, Monday afternoon. Okay. It's Thursday afternoon. Okay, that that's good. Sometimes you drop the afternoon, so um, <laughs> yeah. All right, you got like a weird Chandler Bing thing going on sometimes. I feel I don't know. Um, I don't know what's happening. Villanova is the number one team in the country, and rightfully so, and. There's little argument against that if you want – because here's, here's why I say that. At this point, as we discussed on the last podcast, when we are taking into account non-conference play, it, you obviously Arizona State has the best case for the best resume. But in my opinion, and we can debate about the meaning of rankings, and certainly um, there, are, there are widely varying opinions on that, and I get that. Uh, the rankings at this stage should represent – a lot of resume, but a voter's opinion on who uh, is better on a neutral floor. It's why you can't justify having Arizona State ranked in the teens at this point, because even if you don't think Arizona State is a top 10 team uh, in its heart and mind and in your heart and mind, you cannot deny that Arizona State has an elite resume. So you have to uh, compromise one concept with the other. And uh, you have to acquiesce to the fact that Arizona State has looked really good on top of what the resume shows that they've done. Even if you think, man, this this just still doesn't pass the smell test for anyone that doesn't have Arizona State in the top ten. As you pointed out uh, with your poll attacks, you know they they deserve some ridicule for that. Villanova, in my opinion, has the best combination of a resume and how good I think they are. I think this is the most. Uh, I think right now, as as we sit here, uh, you know. Practically 10 days from Christmas, Villanova's wins, its capability as a team, its coaching, yes, they are the rightful number one team in the country, and I I think Arizona State personally should be number two. They're not there. They're ranked fifth. That doesn't surprise me because we rarely see a team go from 16 or 17 and jump all the way up to number two or three. And no matter what that team is, when you add in the fact that it's Arizona State, I kind of expected them to land there. Um, but knowing you're top 25 and one, we obviously agree Villanova is the number one team in the country. So I'll ask you this, GP, as a question, then you can touch on whatever I said. Uh, do you expect Villanova to be the number one team in the country more weeks than not from now to the end of the regular season? It's funny because our colleague and friend, uh, Reed Forgrave, tweeted, I think on Monday when Villanova was moved to number one in the AP poll, he said Villanova will not relinquish number one all season long. 
And at first you go, oh, I don't know about that. But then you look at it and like, maybe so. I will say the only thing that makes me say that's probably not true is that AP voters, uh, at least a certain percentage of them, are idiots. And they will drop <laughs> Villanova if it loses like at Xavier from the number one spot, even if Villanova is like, clearly got the best resume in the country at that point uh this happens all the time there have been times where there's one team ranked number one whose resume is so much better than everybody else's like it's just significant like even if they took a loss you and you and you said okay they lost today now i'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning i'm gonna look at all the resumes again oh wow they still got the best resume in the country Uh, so i'm gonna keep them number one the ap voters instincts are to you lost you have to pay for that you lost, you can no longer be number one after a loss. I obviously think that's ridiculous, but AP voters, I don't want to say most, but certainly some don't think so. So I think when Villanova loses, even if even if Villanova then becomes a one-loss team, AP voters are, are, are preconditioned to move a four-loss team with worse losses than Villanova to the number one spot just because they have a hard time putting their minds around the idea that you can lose – and still be the best team in the country uh, b- because you've still got the best resume in the country. Um, so I, I guess that's my way of saying I don't think they'll be number one all every week the rest of the season. But I do think it's possible that they're going to be number one more often than not. And the reason is simple. I, I think they're the only team in the country that is actually projected to be favored in every game going forward at Ken Palm right now. I don't think anybody else is. Some of that is – League affiliation. Some of that is they're really damn good. But I do think Villanova is going to be number one, um, at least for a while. You know, they don't play another currently ranked team at uh, until January 10th. That's at uh, that's Xavier at home. So they'll obviously be, be favored in that. They don't play another currently ranked team on the road until Xavier on February 17th. I think you could reasonably say it, it'll be surprising if, if Villanova loses anytime soon. Um. Yeah, I don't know about that. Well, okay. Uh, well, really... let, well, let me walk you through it. They got Hofstra uh, on a neutral court. Like that should be fine. They've got DePaul at DePaul. That should be fine. At Butler, like that's always tricky. Going to Hinkle Fieldhouse as a top ranked team. Like that's all. That's all. That yeah. You, I think that's. I think that's a little slippery. Yeah, you can get caught there. I mean, good teams get. But I would say, man, they went into what is on paper, and I think in reality as well. A pretty tough situation on Wednesday night. Like Temple, top 55 Kempom team, you're on the road, big five game. And they handled it easily, like start to finish. They were like 25 to 5, up 20 at the half uh, or something, end up winning by 20. Like they controlled it. Temple never threatened them at all. That was a really impressive performance. That makes me think, yeah, going to Hinkle, can, it's, a, it's slippery, as you say. But they've already shown they can handle something like that because they handled it Wednesday night. Yeah, and what's going to help Villanova's case and its national reputation, how much we talk and write about uh, this team, is that its schedule is backloaded from a Big East perspective because they do not play at what I think will be the four toughest venues they face in conference until we get to February. They play at Providence on Valentine's Day. They follow that up at Xavier, and then they go back-to-back home games later in the month at Creighton and at Seton Hall I think Villanova is a really, really good team. I don't think they're going to hold on to the number one ranking for the rest of the season by any means. I think they will have the number one ranking more weeks than not from now until Selection Sunday. 
But I expect them to win the Big East despite losing at least two games. And if you told me they dropped three, I wouldn't be surprised because I think that the teams they have to play on the road will wind up being that good. I think Creighton, Seton Hall, Providence, and Xavier are all going to wind up in the NCAA tournament. So if they can split that going two and two, and then you know maybe they win the Big East tournament, maybe they don't. I, I, I do think this will be a team with at least three losses. But let's you know consider how we're discussing Villanova overall. Um and the fact that we're even – the context of this conversation is like, okay, Villanova might have three losses by the time we get to Selection Sunday. Obviously, it's just outrageous how consistent and how good this team is. And they've got a chance here uh, to really establish themselves as a number one seed favorite heading into league play if they can just get one more win uh, over Hofstra, Jay Wright's former stomping grounds. Of course, he was there before he got the Villanova job. And if they can get that – They'll be undefeated in non-conference play. I'm seeing right now that they do have a game at UConn, at UConn, and that is that game is it's at the XL Center, so better there than Gamble. Um, so they technically have two more non-con games. Uh, but what I'm getting at here is an undefeated uh, conference slate in the non-con is also going to help their case overall for a uh, for a number one seed when we get to that point. But uh, but still, clearly they gotta they gotta just check off two more off the list. I do real quickly want to circle back to what you were talking about in rankings because I get this all the time. Like, how are you ranking teams? Because people will say, um, "There's no way this team's better than that team," and in some cases, they're they're accurate when they say that. And so it gets to be, and it's a very subjective thing, obviously. Like, but I think you described it exactly the way I would describe it. Um, the only words I would add is that I think it's a bit of a sliding scale. Like early in the season, you have to weigh preseason expectations um, pretty heavily. It's why if a team that I thought was going to be, say, a sub-100, or just forget what I thought, is a sub-100 Ken Palm team and was picked like middle of the road in their league, like I you, – you, they can't win one game and then you jump them into the top ten. Like you'll get things all out of whack. In other words, when Arizona State beats Xavier – I think you can jump them reasonably in the top 20, but you just don't immediately go Arizona State's undefeated. they got to win over Xavier by 15 points, make them third in the country. Because you want to see a little bit more. Was that a fluky effort? Um, uh, or is that a reflection of what they actually are? Because if that's a reflection of what they actually are, then they're way different than what we thought they were going to be. But then if you back the Xavier one with a double-digit win at Kansas, okay, now, like, hey, you just got to respect the resume. So you're exactly right with Villanova. Villanova checks both boxes. They've got the resume. I mean, they got a win over uh, Gonzaga. That's a top 10 Kempom win. They got a win over Tennessee. That's a top 22 Kempom win. They got a road win at Temple, a dominant road win over a top 55 team. That's like probably just as good in most people's minds. Um, and I think there's data to, to, to show this. Um, like beating a top 55 team on the road is just as impressive as beating a top 25 team on a neutral court. So Villanova's got the resume, but they've also got the preseason expectations. They are good, and we always thought they were going to be good. Arizona State is like a little bit of a different deal. Um, they seem to be good, but we didn't really think they were good. But my God, you got to respect the resume. Otherwise, you're not respecting the resume. You're not paying attention to what's happening since the game started. If you just simply go by, and this is what some readers, I guess, listeners of the podcast insist on Twitter every day I update the top 25 and one they're like um, Duke would Duke's still the best team in the country if you're ranking the best teams in the country you got to have Duke number one 
Well, I hear you. I, I think you could make a reasonable argument that Duke is still the best team in the country or still Duke is the favorite to win the national championship. But this is where I fall back on. You've got to respect the results. I mean, uh, yeah, I have Duke 11th, and I know that doesn't mesh with the metrics. But Duke's the only team in my top 11. I think the only team in my top 15 that's got a loss like the Boston College loss. And so if you're just going to ignore losses or excuse losses or dismiss losses or d- discount them, then you put yourself in a position where you can say, yeah, Duke lost at Boston College. I don't care. I'm keeping Duke number one. I just fundamentally think that's wrong. And so while I recognize there's no perfect way to do this, I do think some combination of, res- of looking at preseason expectations plus metrics plus the actual resume regardless of everything else and it slides closer toward the resume literally every week that the season unfolds. In other words, we will get to a point where I will not care what your preseason expectations were. I'll just look at the resume. Like that's mid-January, early February, mid-February. I don't care about what I I don't care about your roster. I don't care about how many pros you got. I don't care about where you were picked in your league. I don't care about where Kim Pom had you. I don't care about what Las Vegas thought. Like at some point you just purely respect the resume, but I don't think that point uh, is is on December 14th. And so it's a, it can be a little bit of a complicated uh, process. Uh, in that Villanova went over at Temple, uh, Jalen Brunson got 31 points, and afterward Jay Wright complimented him and uh, complimented him, and, and Fran Dunphy did the same thing. And I couldn't help but think, you know, in a different world, like this plays out completely differently. I don't know how many people who aren't from the Philadelphia area or follow Villanova or follow Temple remember this, but there was a time when Fran was going to hire uh, Rick Brunson, uh, Jalen's father, to be on his staff, and it was sort of common knowledge in basketball circles. He was doing that perhaps just because he wanted Rick, a former Temple star, on his staff. But you know, Rick also had a, a, a kid who was in high school who was a consensus top 20 recruit in America. And so that's the way this was supposed to go down. Rick Brunson gets hired at Temple. Jalen Brunson enrolls at Temple. And then Rick Brunson got charged with sexual assault. Now, it's fair and right to point out he was acquitted of the charges but do you even remember the details about that? I didn't remember the details. I went back and read it earlier today. It is bananas. Yeah, I remember that story. Um, and yeah, yeah. I remember at the time, just real quick, I remember loving Jalen Brunson as a prospect just in general. And I don't know if I thought he was going to be quite – I thought he was – GP, honest to God, I thought he was going to become an awesome college basketball player. I did not think I thought that he would be player of the year level in year number three. But anyway, continue. So, Rick Brunson would apparently get massages from some woman who, like, that's what she does. It's her job. You know, my job's to record podcasts and, and write columns and write basketball teams. Her job was to give massages. So he would get massages from this woman. These were the allegations, at least. And she, for whatever reason, I couldn't begin to guess, got to a point where she wasn't comfortable giving massages to Rick Brunson anymore. So she says, listen, I'm not taking your appointments anymore. So he allegedly made an appointment under the name Patrick Ewing. So this woman, like, accepts an appointment for a massage from, quote, Patrick Ewing. So she shows up for the appointment. Rick's already there, allegedly, (laughs) no clothes on. (laughs) And she's like, and like, it leads to this, like, bad thing. And so he ultimately is charged with sexual assault. I apologize for laughing. This shouldn't be funny. I mean, it is kind of funny, like making an appointment under Patrick Ewing's name, but whatever. Hi, Patrick Ewing. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but it's so funny to me. 
Like if you knew so some, random. If you knew some of my passwords to like email and like Apple TV, they're all tied to like just random things. A lot of my passwords, I guess I shouldn't say this. Yeah, no, let's let's talk about your passwords. <laughs> let's let's, let's get into this. They're they're I, okay. I'll keep it vague. They are former basketball players from. A certain Devin Downey, uh, obviously <laughs> Devin Devin Downey one two three four. We get that. I know who else. <laughs> no, it would never be Devin Downey one two three four. It would be Devin Downey thirty five three two because he got thirty points, five rebounds, three assists, and two steals in a sixty eight sixty two upset of John Calipari's Kentucky Wildcats back in the two thousand nine two thousand ten season. What a lot of people don't remember, Norlander, that was the first loss at Kentucky. Uh, by John Calipari after he inherited that job. He, of course, has gone on to do uh, pretty well, uh, won a national championship, gone to a bunch of Final Fours, got it inducted into the Hall of Fame. But January 26, 2010, that's when Devin Downey got him for 35, 3, and 2. So shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Back to my passwords. They're all yeah, so they're, Terry Teagle opens what device for you? <laughs> Terry, if you want to get into my Apple TV, it's Terry Teagle 44. Um, no, my passwords are all basketball players from a very specific school, but it is such a random school. You would never – if I could give you 40 guesses, you would never guess the school. They're just basketball players who played at this particular school. That's how is – that, is that a weird way to do your passwords? A little bizarre, but we've all got our little uh, quirks about us. Okay. <laughs> I think the way it started, and I, I was when I was making a password for something, I was watching this team play, and I was like, "Oh, you know, so and so used to play there. I'll make him my password." And then I just decided to be able to remember my passwords. I'll just make all my passwords basketball players from this particular school. Anyway, back to Rick Brunson. So he gets arrested, and he was acquitted of the charges. So whatever, he's working again. Uh, good luck to him. But Temple couldn't hire an assistant coach who had been accused of what I just described, uh, charged with sexual assault. So they can't hire Rick Brunson. Jalen Brunson's recruitment opens up. He ends up at Villanova. He's already won two Big East titles and a national championship, probably on his way to another Big East title, maybe another national championship. And fast forward to this past um, Tuesday night, when, I guess it was Wednesday night, and he's given 31 points to Fran Dunphy. Like, can you imagine Fran sitting over there watching Jalen Brunson going, yo, you're supposed to be an owl. You're not supposed to be a wildcat. You're supposed to be an owl, and the only reason you're not an owl is because your dad tried to pretend he was Patrick Ewing. It's such a bizarre story. It is, and uh, Dumpy had to watch that happen in his, own, in his own arena, too. It's not like he was playing at the, at the Palestra or playing at the Pavilion Villanova's home arena or Wells Fargo. This was, this was going down right on Temple's, uh, Temple's own stopping grounds there, and uh, – yeah, that's rough. That's certainly rough. Let me tell you about SeatGeek, which is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. That's what I've learned over the years thanks to SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience that allows you to buy and sell tickets in just two taps. That's all it takes. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, you can get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And that's not just for basketball games. That's football games, uh, concerts, anything you buy tickets to, you can get them at SeatGeek, and you can use that promo code COLLEGEBB. Swear to God, I got a text message earlier tonight from a guy I went to high school with, and he said, hey, my daughter is going off to do something. I can't remember. I didn't really pay attention. But he was like, my daughter is going off to do something, and we wanted to buy her some tickets to something. Is What's the best way to go about doing that? 
I feel like he was hitting me up for tickets. I get this all the time. Like people think because they work in sports, like I just have like a, 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 a like tickets laying around my office. I just give them like whatever you want. Call me. I can get it to you. Because I think he was hitting me up for tickets. But you know what I told him, Nolander? I said, go you, to- you told him you got to download that SeatGeek app, man. I, I it's going to get you the tickets easy, quickly, the best way possible. Two taps. Two taps, Norlander. I said, get the SeatGeek app, download it, uh, put it on your phone, and then when you buy tickets for your daughter, who I know you're so proud of, for accomplishing whatever it is she accomplished, use the promo code COLLEGEBB, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, he texted back. I'm making this part up. The first part was Trump. I'll make the rest up. He texted back. He said, why would I use SeatGeek? Why is it better? And I said, why is it better? Are you out of your mind? It's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. It ensures you get the best seat at the best value. It saves you time and it saves you money. And he said, okay, thanks, GP. And I said, hey, man, no problem. It's nice to hear from you. So now he's sitting there that with that. That definitely didn't happen. <laughs> he said, so now he's got, I'm assuming, the Seeky Gap on his phone, and his daughter will have those tickets very, very soon. You should get the Seeky Gap as well. Use that college uh, BB promo code. That's SeatGeek, millions of tickets in one place. Charlotte fired his basketball coach this morning, Mark Price. Nine games into his third season, no longer the coach of the 49ers. So that's weird, huh? It's weird because I think about 79% of the people listening to this podcast, and that number might be low, did not even realize that Mark Price was coaching at Charlotte. Um, GP, is this? do I have this right? Is this our first firing of the year? Our first firing? Because we've, we've had a resignation or two. I feel like this might be the first firing. Tim Floyd, of course, resigned at UTEP. But I don't know that anybody yeah. else has been terminated. I think the answer to the trivia question going forward forever, who was the first Division I men's basketball coach to be fired in the 2017-18 season? The answer might be Charlotte's Mark Price. Charlotte is currently 3-6. and six. Um, High Point was the high point, apparently, because they won 70-67 on November 24th over High Point. Since then, it's been losses. Uh, to Davidson, James Madison, Wake Forest, and Chattanooga, and uh, sending Mark Price out on, whoa, hello, a five-game roadie that starts on December 18th against the vaunted East Carolina. That's the other coach. Oh, Jeff Lebo. Was he fired? I think he, he resigned. He, he technically resigned. resigned he but technically resigned. He technically knew there was resigned. someone else out there. Yeah, yeah but he got, he got, he got, yeah. they pulled a the trigger on him. So right now, um, on Monday night, we're going to have a, a, a game between two programs whose coaches were fired. And I wonder, GP, I mean, listen, this is what we're about on this podcast. Hmm. Digging up the facts, handing you the nuggets, and I got to think. I got to think that the East Carolina-Charlotte game that's going down on Monday, okay, at what is the name of this arena? Hold on. The Williams Arena at Mingus Coliseum. I've been to okay. Ming- I've been to Mingus Coliseum. Right, no shot. Um, no, I hundred percent have. You're talking to a former University of Memphis beat writer. All right, fair enough. You got me. Right there. Okay, what town is it in? East Carolina. Yeah. Green something. Greenville. There Greenville. we go. Yeah. So this will probably be the earliest meeting between two programs with coaches who were fired in a season. I don't think that would have ever happened earlier than uh, December 18th in a given calendar year in a given season. That's about all I got. Mark Price was a a pretty cool and fun NBA player, obviously a a star at Georgia Tech. He made it two and a third seasons with the 49ers, and that is a program, by the way, that uh, was – 
pretty pretty good for a for a eight to twelve year stretch there, and has has not had any sort of success uh, for the past generation. Essentially, they they're, they're kind of caught in a bad spot in CUSA. They just haven't been able to rise above it. And since they left uh, the A10, where they were kind of middling as well, it's been it's been all downhill. Basically. Well, where they were good was in the the earlier conference USA. Like again, when I say I was a Memphis beat writer, I was a Memphis beat writer in those times. So you had. John Calipari at Memphis, Tom Crean at Marquette, Rick Pitino at Louisville, Hugs at Cincinnati, and Bobby Lutz at Charlotte. At West, no, no, never mind. Yeah, yeah West no. Virginia was. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, I'm you're, briefly you're, losing my mind here. I remember, yeah. You're making things up. Bobby Lutz was at Charlotte, and Charlotte was good. I think they went to like five NCAA tournaments in like a 12-year stretch. Like, like there was nothing crazy about Charlotte being mentioned in the same conversation with any of the programs I'm talking about. Louisville, Cincinnati, Memphis, Marquette, they played with all of them. And um, obviously, I think Bobby missed the NCAA tournament five straight years. The move to the A-10, I I think maybe made sense on some level, but might have actually hurt that program. And then they've just never been able to get it right. Alan Major, of course, didn't work out. And now, of course, Mark Price didn't work out. I still don't understand what the motive – like, what do you gain by firing Mark Price on December 14th? Like – uh, not to mention, his son is the second leading scorer and leading rebounder. Like, is his son going to keep playing? Like, there's a report, I think, from the Charlotte Observer that says his son is now exploring transfers. So he's certainly not going to be there much longer. I would imagine he transfers at the semester, which is like now. So I read the comments from Judy Rose, the athletic director, who she was like, I just didn't think we were playing the right way. I'm like, you know, like, okay, but now you just fired your coach and lost your like arguably your best player, certainly one of your two best players. Like, how's that going to make things better? I just like, I'm not saying Mark Price was killing it. He wasn't, he was 30 and 42 through 72 games and not off to a great start this season. But like, what do you gain by firing Mark Price on December 14th? That doesn't make much sense to me. Me either, but that's about all I got for the Charlotte job right now. <laughs> what about the games that are going on? <laughs> what about the games that are going on this weekend? What do you want to hit on my man? Okay. I think we've got, uh, Three interesting games and then the Crossroads Classic, which is where you're going to be. So let's take them one by one. Virginia Tech at Kentucky. This is interesting because it's the first, I believe, top 125 Kempom opponent Kentucky will have played since Kansas. Got Cincinnati at UCLA. These are two teams that I believe were both ranked preseason top 25, but they're both 0-2 against top 50 teams, uh, Kempom teams this season. In other words, they've, they've both beaten nobody and lost to the only good teams they played. That unless you think Mississippi State's good, because Cincinnati handled Mississippi State the other night pretty easily. And then we get Trey Young at Wichita State, which should just be awesome. And shouts to Lon Kruger for even scheduling this game. A lot of high major coaches, and I'm not suggesting Wichita State's not a high major. Wichita State is awesome. But a lot of, I should say, power conference schools, they won't go to a place like Wichita. They won't go to, to Coke Arena. Uh, but... Uh, Lon Kruger has decided to do it. Trey Young against Wichita State should be awesome. Let's talk about those before we get to the Crossroads Classic. Virginia Tech at Kentucky. John Calipari in trouble. It's not the same as as, as, as having to deal with Devin Downey back in 2010, but it is Buzz Williams and his team's playing well. They are playing well. I'm going to take Kentucky at home here. Virginia Tech's got a great shot uh, to pick one off, but I actually think Kentucky's going to show up uh, and be ready to play. Um, Kevin Knox was kind of iffy. Uh, Last week, and that's kind of being kind. He had his worst game of his uh, college of his young college career so far. Hamadou Diallo was pretty solid. Kentucky was not at full strength in that game. Sasha Clea Jones did not play. Quade Green did not play. 
Um, if everyone's healthy and good to go there at Rupp, I'm not seeing Virginia Tech pull that off. I will uh, I will take Kentucky. I think this might be a, 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 a kind of a, a chippy game, but not like in a bad way. But I, I think it could be a little bit physical here. I think that Virginia Tech's going to push Kentucky in ways that perhaps it hasn't been aside from the Kansas game. And uh, I'll take the Wildcats 69-63. I'll take Kentucky in a close game, but if Virginia Tech walks out of there with a win, it will not surprise me at all. It's very difficult, you know, when you're relying this heavily on on first-year players to play these types of games early. Like, Kentucky is getting better. John seems to like his team. But they haven't played anything close to a comparable basketball team since we watched them play Kansas uh, in the Champions Classic uh, back on November 14th. So by the time they step on this court with Virginia Tech, it will be more than a month since they played a game against other power conference, you know, uh, players. And so that'll be it'll it'll be an adjustment. Like the the level of competition like jumps up pretty drastically. I I'm not saying they can't handle it. I'm just saying it'll be different. Kentucky wins, I think, but Virginia Tech, I, I won't be surprised at all um, if they're able to upset. Uh, uh, the Wildcats inside Rupp Arena. Cincinnati at UCLA. You care about either team? Uh, yeah, both are interesting. This is a CBS game, by the way, 3.30. Uh, it's a network of stars. It's, Ameri- it's America's most watched network, the network of stars. Indeed it is. And the Bearcats, they got a tough – this is a tough task here because I actually think UCLA is better than it's played on the whole so far this season, acknowledging that obviously they still don't have two of those freshmen, one is since – bounced off to Europe or will be soon anyway. Um, now, I thought Cincinnati was going to handle Mississippi State, who was undefeated at the time, and sure enough, that's what happened here. Uh, for Cincinnati's non-conference resume, this is a very, very, very important game because it's a road game. It's against a team I think will be in the NCAA tournament, and it will probably amount, Parrish, I think this will amount to the only win of any value that Cincinnati will have when we get to Selection Sunday. And... You know, I feel like I talk about this probably once a week on these podcasts, but there's a reason why. Because um, one, I want to inform the listeners, and two, these results they freaking matter, and they matter a lot. If Cincinnati does not win at UCLA, and I don't think that it's going to, but I expect a close game, it will lack any non-conference heft, and it's going to have to get a lot done in an American athletic conference that I think will be good and improved. But ultimately, this could be damaging Cincinnati's seed come March because I think it's going to be going up against other teams that will have uh, better wins outside of the conference. Give me UCLA to win this one 78-72 or so. Um, I like the Bruins. What about you? I think Cincinnati wins the game on the road. Straight up. I'm taking the Bearcats in a, inside Pauley Pavilion with a victory. Um, and I'm not as concerned. I don't think it's nearly as desperate as you, a situation as you think it is because – um, in the American, like you're going to have plenty of opportunities to get quality wins. I think, and somebody tweeted me about this earlier today, and I was going back and forth with them uh, a little bit. Like St. Mary's is the one that's going to find itself in a tough spot. They've, you know, they've already taken. I think a loss to Washington State and a loss to Georgia. They don't really have opportunities outside of their league anymore, and they've only got one opportunity inside their league. Like St. Mary's is going to need to get Gonzaga wins or win the WCC tournament. Or else it's going to be sweating like crazy on Selection Sunday, no matter what they get done between now and then. But uh, a team like Cincinnati, they're got they going to have opportunities in the league. I, I, obviously, you get an opportunity like this, you want to go win it. But I don't think they need to start worrying about their at-large resume too much. No, it's not that. It's more like this could be worth a seed line or so, and they could get damaged. Like, you might wait. You, we might go into Selection Sunday thinking Cincinnati's like, 
worthy of a five and they get a seven and I would count that to their lack of big wins at a conference. That's basically what I was trying to say. I hear you. Um, and then Trey Young at Wichita State, that of course means Oklahoma at Wichita State. Um, I'm just a, a great team against a great player. These are always fun. You know, I, I don't know how good of a team Oklahoma is, but Trey Young's awesome and Wichita State's awesome. So great player, great team. Uh, he can't go. I mean, I, I I could see this one going where he goes for thirty five, but Wichita State still wins by eight, something like that. Yeah, I think it's gonna be good. Hey, a quick note by the way, a little inside college basketball stuff. Rhode Island tried desperately to schedule St. Mary's. St. Mary's wouldn't do it, and I bet you they wish they had that game right now. Um, refused to do it. And if you look at Rhode Island's schedule, what? it actually has one. Why? Let me ask. I didn't mean to interrupt, but um, yeah. but that's what I do. Um, why with your St. Mary's wouldn't you schedule a Rhode Island game? Like, what is you're gonna get in your league and win? Right. And win like win all your games anyway, except for the Gonzaga games, and maybe you slip up here or there. What is the? I totally understand if you're an ACC school, why you say, man, we ain't messing around with Rhode Island. Like we got enough to worry about from January on. If you're St. Mary's, like clearly a good team, clearly a good program, why are you so hesitant to schedule people outside of your league? I mean, I'd love Randy Bennett to answer that question more consistently and, and openly and publicly because if you look at his history, he is uh, – now, sometimes it hasn't hurt him. Sometimes it absolutely has. There was a couple of years ago where St. Mary's did not get in the tournament and it was strictly because they had an awful, awful non-conference schedule. He should be trying to schedule up. I don't know why he didn't do it. And I don't even think Rhode Island was asking for a true home-and-home. Home. Uh, might have been willing to budge there and go two neutrals near, uh, near sites overall uh, in both of those uh, programs' respective areas. But, yeah, it's going to come back to bite St. Mary's potentially if, again, kind of similar to Cincinnati, uh, only in that, like, if they get in, not having that Rhode Island game on the schedule is going to wind up hurting them. Um, it's baffling. St. Mary's should be uh, consistently scheduling better than it does. Let's put that conversation on hold and wait till we see where we are in February because I think we could expound on it even more. Oklahoma State, uh, I mean, Oklahoma playing at Wichita State is the game of the weekend for me. Trey Young has been amazing. I have him at number one in my frosh watch. He has been the best freshman in the country to this point. He's ranked number one in Ken Palm's player of the year standings right now um, with a bullet, and he has been terrific. I definitely like Wichita State to win this game. And, by the way, this is not a home-and-home. Home. This is a two-for-two. Two. This is the first of a four-year series between these programs. Great on both of these coaches for doing this because it makes regional sense. Both programs are about on even footing here. Um, I think it's, it's fantastic. So next year – uh, the Shockers will go to Norman. I will take Wichita State in a fun one here. They should be up for it. Uh, give me the Shockers, 86-82, and I, I got the game in doubt with about 40 seconds to go. Trey Young, I'm going to set the over-under GP at, uh, you know what, I'm going to set it at 29.5, and I'm going to go under. Are you going to go over or under for Trey Young against a Wichita State team and a defense that currently ranks 13th points per possession? I'm going to say Trey Young goes over 29.5. I'm going to say Trey Young gets 30 at least, but Wichita State wins by 10. Okay. Cool. Wichita State but with yeah. a double-digit yeah. win, uh, Trey Young gets at least a 30. And then the Crossroads Classic, you're going to be there. That's why um, we haven't been able to connect over the past couple of days for people who have been asking. You've been traveling, and you're bouncing around, bouncing around. I'll let you share what you're doing if you want to, or we can just wait and let people read the story when you get the story done. Either way, you are going to end up this weekend at the Crossroads Classic, and that's Butler-Purdue. Notre Dame, Indiana. I wish it were Purdue, Notre Dame, Indiana, Butler. It's like we got the mediocre team uh, against the good team, like in in, in both of these matchups. Um, it, it, so I, I think like Purdue could maybe win uh, rather easily, and Notre Dame could win rather easily. But either way, this is just a great event, and uh, 
Uh, now that I just said what I said, I'm sure Butler and Indiana win the games. <laughs> yeah, and I wish more uh, more schools that were regionally capable of doing something like that. This is like we both want the home and home and homes on campus stuff for non conference stuff, but this actually makes sense, particularly for this state. And it was a, an event that happened back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and then went away forever, and then came back. Uh, it makes regional sense to do this, and it's great. I'd love to see a, a few more areas that are, could afford to do something like this and have the fan interest pull it off. Um, Butler Purdue uh, probably is going to be a little bit ugly. I definitely have Purdue in that one. I just they've got more size. They've got much more shooting. Um, I think they're deeper right now overall. I'll take Purdue. I'm going to take Purdue. Like Butler's going to try and and slog it up. I I don't think they're going to be able to give me Purdue like 77 65 and then yeah Notre Dame. They haven't been quite as good consistently. I think as as Mike Bray has hoped. Obviously they, that uh, buzzer beating loss to Ball State uh, last week was was uh, certainly a dagger but have much more firepower than Indiana right now. Give me Notre Dame, 82 to 69. And I want to give a shout-out to our listeners and Twitter followers because I'll be totally honest. I make these predictions, and I mean what I say. Like I, That's what I think the score is going to be. But within, by the time I wake up the next morning, I've forgotten whatever score I've given you. And apparently, Parrish, I've been like within two points of these scores like three or four times this year. I'm amazing. I'm amused. Follow my picks until, of course, they start backfiring. Dude, you don't have to apologize for anything. Like seven minutes ago, you thought West Virginia was in Conference USA. Yeah, I my brain got scrambled because Beeline played someone in the tournament. Remember, like uh, it was like West Virginia versus I think a CUSA team. Was it Louisville? Like in 05? That's why I got all scrambled. That's why. I think uh, Purdue and Notre Dame win those games somewhere between six and ten points each. Um, I actually, uh, though, I do think Purdue's clearly better than Butler, and Notre Dame's clearly better than Indiana. Um, I doubt either of those teams just completely run away from the opponent so give me purdue over butler by six to ten points give me notre dame over indiana by six to ten points we'll be following you on twitter for your in-game updates norlander if you'll provide them uh that's you know i'm not i'm not too big on that but if there if there's uh interesting things i'll be sure to, to tweet them out remember you can subscribe to the island college basketball podcast via itunes so please go do that it makes a difference we appreciate it and know that we'll be back very soon do we want to make a promise that we can't keep about when we'll be back <laughs> well, that's, you know what that's becoming a podcast trademark <laughs> we all um, we actually we should just avoid it but we actually say hey we'll be back um we'll be back tuesday and then we're never back tuesday should we keep them wanting more well that, you know what in the spirit of transparency we were trying to be back tuesday we recorded like a 30 minute podcast and something was wrong with something, and it just the, – the, the audio quality was so bad, I was embarrassed because I understand we struggle with audio quality. Like, we're aware of it. We, you have no idea how much time we spend, like, trying to figure this out. It's, it's ridiculous that we sometimes still screw it up, but – what we recorded earlier in the week was just so bad. I was like, Norlanda, we can't do it. Like, yeah. it was Plus, like, you thought there were 14 countries in Europe. That is so not true. Not, that is yeah, not you did. You did ask me on that podcast that will never be heard. You asked me how many countries were in Europe because we were talking about LaMelo and LiAngela Ball going to Lithuania. And I refused to answer the question because I was scared I would be so wrong it would be embarrassing. And I am willing to acknowledge I would not have been right, but my answer was not 14. That's untrue. 17 it would have been like 17 or 18 hey, you know i still i still have the audio from that and um i have a personal <laughs> soundcloud account so there's 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 the potential to uh to post you know just that four or five minute clip at some point this season maybe i'll, I'll drop it in darkness here or there somewhere but it was it was a it was a conversation worth hearing even with some of the audio issues but 
maybe not. Maybe it's gone forever, too. I hope it's gone forever. Norlander, I know you're sleepy. You've been traveling all day. Go to bed and um, enjoy the Crossroads Classic, and we will talk again at some point between now and, like, midnight on Saturday because we have to. Like, we have contractually obligated to yes. do it. So so you might get a four-minute podcast recorded on Saturday morning. With I, a three-minute seat geek <laughs> Yes. We'll, we'll come on. I'll, uh, I'll say something about uh, uh, Kentucky. We'll do a three-minute seat geek read. I'll say something about North Carolina, and we'll call it a day. I'm not making any promises. Just know that there will be another, in addition to this one, another Ion College basketball podcast before uh, before Sunday. Uh, arise. Norlander, go to bed. We'll talk to you again Saturday. Till then, take care.